What up? This is Yinka Diz. Peace. This is Outlaw. And you listen to the 80s Babies Podcast. And on today's episode, I guess we have what we would call a speak on it. Yeah. And this episode was pretty much kind of like the response to some of the feedback we got from uh, when we recorded the, I guess, Make It a Classic or Tribute for Commons B, mm-hmm. both the feedback from <laughs> uh, some of our audience yeah. and, of course, the feedback from some of the people who do this podcast. Shout out to Nate Jeezy. Uh, uh, He's pissed. <laughs> we love you, bro. But I but I think that in the response to that episode, um, it, it made me kind of think about, like, why don't I consider Commons B? to be a classic because you're a hater right and i think that you know there's <laughs> there's a bunch of things that you would have to put into context that i don't necessarily need to lay that out for that specific album mm-hmm. but I, I think that i didn't necessarily articulate my point well enough and it made me think that you know there's this constant theme that we have on on this podcast where we started out like our very first episode was make it a classic mm-hmm. and then of course we have these tributes for all these classic records mm-hmm. right and then it's like you know, at some point, I think it was Panama who asked the question first, what defines a classic? Yeah. And it's something, it's a question that Yink and I have never really addressed on this show before. Mm. So today's episode is dedicated to what defines a classic. And we're <laughs> going to try our best to go through different categories um, and, and different things, you know, to put the whole context, to put the whole perspective together in terms of like what he and I both think about, like what makes a classic. And then, compare that to i guess what you know the mainstream considers a classic and try to get like a somewhat of a, a sound formula for the 80s babies definition of a classic we're going to go through different categories we're going to weight these categories and it's kind of a free open-ended discussion but by the end of it hopefully there will be a more concrete criteria for how we go about labeling what we would consider to be a classic sounds good and maybe the answer is we don't know <laughs> Maybe the answer is we don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll we about to it find out. out. Right, right. So um, for me, I, I basically went through. I've got several different categories here, and and you know, we'll we'll, we'll list them as uh, as the episode progresses. Um, but some are going to go into the more objective categories, mm-hmm. where it's like, look, I don't care who you are on the planet. Like a fact is a fact. These things happen. Yeah. And then the other is like some more subjective, where it's just like, look. You know, we all we have to admit that we all have a certain subjectivity with with our palate um, in terms of like what we like, what we don't like. Mm -hmm. And so some of those more subjective uh, categories for me personally are are weighted higher. But I also recognize that it's like, look, how I go about like assessing which albums actually encompass some of these, you know, subjective qualities. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's my opinion, it's Yinka's opinion, it's your opinion. They're going to differ. But yeah. nevertheless, these are some of the, the things that we think about when we talk about like labeling uh, labeling these albums. Yeah. Um, so unless you have anything else to add, uh, we can just kind of get right into it. I'll just add that my perspective is that all of this shit is subjective. Um, yes, I, I think even the things that we might define as objective here are still subjective. Um, you know, okay. a good example is uh, we spoke about uh, Nipsey Hussle and YG and, you know, I said a song was an anthem or whatever. And you were like, nobody knows mm-hmm. who these artists are. Right. So, like, I think some some things also have to do with, like, what your vantage point is. And so yes. while there's there's very few artists like your, your Snoop Dogg, right? Snoop Dogg had a moment in 93 where it didn't matter where you were on the fucking planet. You knew who Snoop Dogg was. Right. But then there's like a lot more nuance when it comes to most other music. And so I think Mm -hmm. that like even the things that we might call objective here 
probably have a level of subjectivity from from our vantage point. I think that's fair and particularly fair when we compare albums from the 90s and albums today, mm. right? Because I think that, you know, two parts of this. One, it's very easy to look at things in hindsight yeah. and recognize yeah. like, you know, where were we, where were we when this happened? Absolutely. What were the, the cultural changes? How are we looking back at exactly. this, right? Yep. Um, versus today where it's like, I'm kind of in my own bubble, especially now I'm a grown ass man. Right. I don't necessarily care about these things from the new artists the way I did back then. Right. They don't have as much influence on my life. Yep. So there's that. But also the, the fact that I think that there is less um, centrality mm-hmm. to hip hop music today mm-hmm. than there was uh, in the past. Yeah. You know, I think that a lot of that has to do with streaming and the rise of independent labels and independent artists. Yep. And there's less kind of consensus that's mm-hmm. going to 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 form right. nowadays versus in the past. Right. So we do have to kind of to take that assess that appropriately, and of course, that's where you talk about your subjectivity. So yep. we're gonna try to take all this into consideration. But like the point is, is that <laughs> there's a great there's a great context into all of this stuff, and we try our best yep. to take everything into consideration when we say like, nah, this is a classic. Nah, this could have been a classic, but it wasn't. Right. Nah, this was just, you know, overrated, whatever. Yep, yep. So, yeah. All right. So I think we're going to get into it with some of the more objective points first. And so the, the first one that I brought up mm. was just, you know, general impact, ubiquity, sales, mm-hmm. right? So like just how much was everybody talking about said project? How much did it sell? Like, which is, which is just all over the news, all over the radio, all over high school, yeah. wherever. Like, it was in everybody's CD player, this and the other, just like, boom. Like, this project was just everywhere, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, I have some albums that come to mind. And, of course, you can you can bring up some. Mm-hmm. So, something like It's Dark and Hell is Hot. That's the first DMs. one that came to mind for me right? as well. Yep. Yes. And I think that the reason why this album comes to mind for me is because we did attribute to this this project. And this is a project that I personally did not think aged very very well. Mm-hmm. I listen to it now and I'm like, like <laughs> I, I don't know about this one. But I can't deny that at the time, oh my God, this record was huge. Right. It was everywhere. It was so huge that an album that came out in May of 1998, the same artist was able to drop another very <laughs> successful project at the end of 1998. Right. That was fucking unheard of at the time. Facts. Just unheard yep. of. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on the on the on on this project? Uh, not on this project. I think you canvassed it pretty well. I think this particular slider, if you want to call it a slider, um, is definitely one that's I, I I you know, I think is very important. Not so important to me, but important specifically mm-hmm. in hindsight. Um, and I think the example yeah. that you gave is a perfect example. Um, the other one that I would probably give is is uh, is Fifty Cent, Get Rich or Die Trying. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, but I have that on my list as well. Right, but you have certain certain records that just like impact the way, like the the conversation to a point where like mm-hmm. if somebody's looking, like I remember we we talked about this. Soldier Boy was was did uh, you know oh, wow. uh, an, an interview when he became this big star, and they asked him, you know, yeah. what was the first hip hop album you ever heard, or what made you want to rap, and he was like Fifty Cent, Get Rich or Die Trying. Like he heard that, wow. and that that like made him decide what he wanted to do with his life right so like i think there are certain records that just impact 
the conversation in a way that's like you can't even mistake them at all yeah i mean definitely that for give rich or die trying mm -hmm. um it was not an album like i never bought it i never actually oh, wow. put that cd in my stereo and listen to it all the way through I, but it didn't matter i feel like because i still heard every song on i it. feel like that tells y'all everything you need to know about outlaw because it's like outlaw was in college when this out yeah. that album came out and like i mean uh -huh. he can speak to this but like when that album came out you couldn't you you had to intentionally be trying to avoid listening to that album because it was but I everywhere. I mean, you got in somebody's car, it was playing. You got on their on, in the car in the car, the radio's playing. Exactly. It's go shorty, it's your birthday. You go to the party, the exactly. song's playing. Like it was everywhere. Here's the thing: <laughs> I didn't have to buy the album because it was everywhere. It was literally like, everywhere. My, my point wasn't necessarily <laughs> that I was trying to avoid it. My point was that it was like, look, I never actually put the CD in my stereo <laughs> or the, the MP3 track list, whatever, on my computer yeah. and listen to it all the way through. I didn't need to. Yeah. When I went to a friend's house, when I hopped on the bus, right. when I went to the party, when I went to the bus stop, when I went to class, it was everywhere, everywhere I heard this album. Yep. And I think we could be more objective about that point, mm -hmm. at least... I don't know from where we were. I, I don't know what it was like in fucking Arkansas or Indiana. I have no idea. Yeah. But I can only assume that, you know, it took over our part of the world. Yeah. I can only assume that it took over everything else. Nah, um, I would I imagine mean, it took over everywhere. <laughs> it went it went diamond, did it yeah. not? Nah, I remember so it, it and this is funny, but I remember, you know, at the time that this came out, I think Either my family lived in Senegal or they had were, were getting ready to move to Senegal. It, this was like around the time mm -hmm. my family moved to Africa. And so I would go like, you know, Christmas break or whatever back to Africa to, to see my family. And I remember being in Nigeria, being in Senegal and seeing like murals of 50 Cent's face in like in mm -hmm. villages. Like it like it like yeah. he was that big that That's like crazy. there's places that like. They probably know five American artists and 50 Cent was one of the five artists that they knew. Snoop Dogg was obviously going to be one of them. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, crazy. Another one, we don't have to get into it, but something else like All Eyes on Me would be another one, mm, right? Yeah. Um, and so for me, though, I will say what I actually don't really weight this category that high yeah. in, turn, in relation to the other kind of sliders. Yeah. Um, but what it does right. is it, 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 it brings you to the table, mm -hmm. right? Like, we have to talk about said project because yep. it was so big. Yep. Right? And that's why you have to talk um, about College Dropout, even though you hate on exactly. it. Exactly. Because people say it's a classic. That's fair. <laughs> and it changed is, the game. The, it really did. Here's the that That's a great segue into our <laughs> next category, which I actually weight higher than the previous one. And that is like... The, the follow-up to the album or the moment or the run the the, the run of dominance right. that it creates for you. That's interesting. Right? So so college dropout is a great one, mm -hmm. right? I personally don't think that that album I don't I think it's fine. I think it's musically overrated, mm -hmm. but I can't deny the impact that it had. Like, you know, the the, the his first trilogy of albums, mm -hmm. right? Like it, it it starts that. And then obviously you know he 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 breaks the mold and he does 808s and heartbreaks which right. which is actually going to pop up elsewhere on my list later later on in the episode mm -hmm. but um like i can't deny the importance that that that, that album had right. 
right? Uh, another really good example would be something like, uh, you know, Enter the 36 Chambers mm -hmm. from Wu-Tang. Mm -hmm. How, you know, from 1993 through 1997, they were coming out with one or two projects every single year that maybe they weren't like huge commercial successes, but like if you were a hip-hop fan, you were talking about these albums, they were all over the place. So here's my question. Go ahead. Can you not make a classic piece of music that doesn't have a follow-up moment of dominance? Like, like I'll give you a, a, an example, right? Um, the Gravediggers, right? Like, they have an album that okay. pe a lot of people herald as a classic. That I mean, they didn't put out another album until much later, and by then, nobody gave a fuck about them because they were talking about either Prince Paul squarely or RZA and right. Wu-Tang squarely, right? Nobody cared about Gravediggers anymore. Um, what, what, what would you say for artists that don't have a follow-up moment of dominance but do have an, a very impactful project? I would say that perhaps their album has re received like a, a cult-like status. Okay. Um, and I'm going to get into that a little bit later. I think specifically for the Gravediggers, it's a little complicated because They're a super group. as Panama was mentioning, Gravediggers, was a, that was an album that was actually created way before it was released. Yeah, that's am I, true. Am I, am I not mistaken? Three years before, right, I think. Right, so I think... I think it was actually kind of released after kind of like the buzz for Wu-Tang and Prince Paul. No. Nah. Um, so I'm, it wasn't I think what, what, not created. It was released. After I think that. The, 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 the point about it is it was a decidedly horrorcore album that was released after yeah. horrorcore was kind of no longer relevant. Right. Because like they were trying to create mm. this like subgenre of hip hop that was horrorcore. And then like they made this horrorcore album and then they released three years later and it's like. What the fuck is horrorcore? Nobody cares about this anymore. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I do think that it's fair for it to, re to receive like a cult-like status. Although I will say I have listened to that album several times. It's been a while. Mm -hmm. And if my memory serves correct, there's other aspects of the album that I think would kind of knock it down for me. But I mm -hmm. do think that that's a fair point. Um, I, if, an, if, if an artist only creates like one really, really good album... Mm -hmm and they don't really do anything else after that, that shouldn't necessarily right. um, distract from that album. For example, maybe something like Blue and Exile. Perfect, right? perfect example. Like, I personally can't, wouldn't assess an album like that and be like, this album isn't a classic because they don't have another classic after it or they don't have a right. run after it. You know what I mean? Right, right. No, never, but here's the thing, though. Mm. Like, there are other categories, which we haven't mentioned, that I kind of weight a little bit, okay. a little bit higher. And so maybe they maybe something like Blue and Exile doesn't have the follow up or, or doesn't create the run of dominance for an artist, mm -hmm. but it has other attributes, maybe a little bit more subjective mm -hmm. qualities, if you will, okay. um, that, it, that it does possess that it can weight higher. Mm -hmm. But like I, for me, I think, um, you know, I mentioned I, I mentioned 36 Chambers. I think Black Star is, is a very good album mm -hmm. in terms of like the kind of run it created for most deaf and to live quality. Right. But I think the best example of this. Uh, for me, and you already mentioned College Dropout, that's a really good one, but I would have to say is, is Jay-Z's Blueprint, mm. right? I mean, when he drops Blueprint yeah. from, from September 2001 until like the Black Album, mm -hmm. if you will. I mean, it was like, it was Jay-Z running the show. Yeah. And, and the, you know, Black Album is a good album. Mm -hmm. It's not great. Mm -hmm. You've got Bl uh, Blueprint 2, which in my opinion is not a good album at all. Mm -hmm. But that the strength of Blueprint... Mm -hmm enable Jay-Z mm -hmm. to be, you know, the greatest album, the greatest hip hop MC on the planet, yeah. arguably the greatest MC of all time, which I disagree with, but that doesn't matter. Right. Like that album, the strength of that album is what did it for him. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think I would probably give that run that you're giving, 
I think I would actually give it to 50 Cent. Just because, okay. and and I, there's a whole uh, uh, argument that I've had back and forth, and and um, actually Sham and I are on the same side with, with with this joint, but we both agree. There's kind of this 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 argument or conversation that nobody wants to have that says that Jay Z may have never actually been the guy, and really? like and like in all of the moments where Jay Z was maybe the guy. There was always someone else that also was maybe the guy. And so who else was the guy in 2002? There was probably a good number of guys in 2002. Are we sure? uh, wasn't uh, so Eminem was already out. Nelly was out. Yeah. Um uh, who else was out? There there were there were multiple Chris? other people, but the the main the main Jay run um like where 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 Jay was like really really in the forefront in the scope. Um, you had 50 in that time frame and you had the early days of, of Lil Wayne taking over and becoming the guy, right? So like Jay was was maybe objectively the guy, maybe for a very, very, very short window. I think he was objectively the guy for the entirety of 2002 because Get Rich or Die Trying is not released until 2003. Fair. Uh, yeah, December, yeah. January, yeah, sometime around there. So, yeah, so, so I to, would I, I think that Jay Z has a solid year, maybe. I, there, there was there well, was because because okay. the, the other thing we have to consider is it like it's also what the streets have to say and all the like the little like freestyles he was dropping like the Star Carter collection all the like the random things. He was I think you up love on. Blueprint a lot more than a lot of other hip hop fans do. Interesting. And I I personally love Blueprint as well more than a lot of hip hop fans do. But to say objectively that okay. Jay-Z was the guy for a long period of time or even that period of time, I think that there 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 are other folks that were in contention in that time frame. Okay. Whereas when 50 All was right. the guy, 50 was squarely the guy. Yeah, 50 was. Like the there, guy. Was, there was yeah, there's no the you couldn't be like, "Oh, no, this this guy's bigger than 50." It was 50. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. Anyway, um, you know, it's 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 it doesn't change your point that, you know, that is definitely a factor as well. All right. So the next one I have would be something like a, like it's a groundbreaking album or it's a, a trend setting album. Right. So something where it's like this album comes out and then a bunch of other projects that follow it kind of try to pick up on the same thing. OK. And it almost like creates like a like a genre or like a sound mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in in the space right and okay. there's a number of there's probably a number of projects that you could think of yeah. to do this um you i mean off the top of my head I, well i went with the uh, try called quest uh the people's instinctive travel okay right i mean i think that even though i think three feet high and rising might have came out beforehand mm -hmm. i think that people's instinctive travels one is a better album mm -hmm. um and i think that you know creating that the whole like native tongue sound not just that but i also think that like that project helps create a sound that like people today still associate with like oh that's like that's like real hip-hop mm. where i don't really i don't really make that association mm. anymore i definitely used to mm. i don't think that that's any more real hip-hop than trick daddy is real hip-hop right right I, I mean i think it's all real hip-hop right. um but i think that like that definitely kind of created like a sound or something like um, you know, the Wu Gambinos that's uh that only built for Cuban links created, mm -hmm. right? How everybody was starting to have like a, a Gambino name. Um, you have that on various projects like you know, Nas Escobar, this, that, and the other. I, I think that that would be something that that, that needs to that, that holds weight. Does it hold as much weight as something like 
I don't know, the follow-up run. I'm not necessarily sure, but I mm. think it, like I said, it definitely puts you in the conversation of when you kind of create yeah. like this uh, the genre or the sound. Yeah. Um, add, something like The Chronic from Dr. Dre. That one for sure. I'll add a couple more. Mm -hmm. um, Diplomats, uh, Dipset. Okay. Uh, I think they yeah, kind of, that's, that's I think they kind of took what Jay did on Blueprint and they like made it their own in a way that a lot of other people. They, they put did. it on steroids. Yeah, that, that a way that a lot of other people imitated. Um, and then what was the other one that I had off the top of my head? Oh, um, the T.I. and Gucci thing where it's like oh, trap yeah, music, yeah. quote trap unquote music, trap yeah. music. So I think yeah. somewhere between there lies the, the the formula of all these other people trying to create what the trap music thing is. It's, it's interesting because there's an album that I have on my list that goes that, that I have another category. But... I wouldn't even say the album because for me, when I think of trap music, mm -hmm. I actually don't really think of T.I. I actually don't really think of Gucci. Hmm. Group that I think of is UGK, hmm. right? I think that a lot of the music that they were making, um, you know, between Ryan Dirty, uh, Super Tight, Dirty Money, I think a lot of that is kind of like that, that trap sound mm -hmm. that we know and love. But nevertheless, I think on the mainstream level, maybe they took something and they brought it to the masses. Um, I think you make a good point, though, Cause, as well, you know, the T.I. and the Gucci movie. Because yeah. the slang comes from Atlanta, right? So it ha it have to yeah, be an Atlanta fair. artist that's like the birth of it, if it's their slang, right? Yeah, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. And I like that you bring up Gucci, mm -hmm. because I know that Young Jeezy definitely had his moment in the, in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. But for me... It was always, I mean, Gucci Man, So Icy came out before Young Jeezy. Well, they were together. Um, although I think Young Jeezy might have been on that. Yeah, track they're both. They're both on it. Nevertheless, that was still a Gucci project, and so I always kind of <laughs> like to associate it with Gucci more so than Young Jeezy. But, yeah, uh, I feel like Gucci it. created a sound more so than Jeezy did. And Atlanta people, mm -hmm. feel free to shoot me, but like, I feel sure. like you know, in college, I remember you enjoying Gucci. You know, at a time Gucci. when I was decidedly anti what Gucci was about, right? So, like, I feel like there was, like, a whole movement for Gucci and his sound and what he was doing. And I think you just kind of respected that creativity in a way that I just didn't really embrace. But at the same time, I respect that it it, it was impactful, you know? Let me set the record straight. Mm -hmm. Hater, you participate. Girls, girls with me like on, 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 like on a limit date. Is that what you said? Yeah. Is, that, is that how the lyric goes? Yeah, that's what's Oh fire. my God, I used to love that shit. <laughs> that record was fire. <laughs> anyway. um, so the next the next category I have is something, is, is, is culture shifting. And not necessarily culture shifting for hip hop. I mean, actual human culture shifting moments. Um on the larger scale of, of like America, mm. right? So for me, like the, the biggest one that I can think of would be something like straight out of Compton from NWA, okay. right? Like the idea that gangster music would really get into the mainstream um, and cause the stir that it caused, mm -hmm. right? A lot of controversy because like, look, there's some really good songs on that album, mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of like, Man. eh, yeah. these true. songs didn't really age well, right? But the impact that that had culturally on this country um, cannot be understated, yeah. right? Another good example of that would be something like Marshall Mathers LP uh, from Eminem, mm -hmm. right? Like 
you know, I don't necessarily think that's a good hip hop record. I think it's a much better pop record hmm. than it is a hip hop record. And we spoke about this on that episode, hmm. um, which would be ironic because Eminem was shitting on pop artists. And it's like, <laughs> you you are a, a pop artist, sir. <laughs> um, but I think that that's another one that's just like a culture shifting um, moment hmm. um, for, 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 for music in general. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you have any other thoughts of that. I don't disagree. Um, I actually, I'll go back to your example. I, I, I feel like the blueprint was culture shifting. Um, I think, okay. you know, at, at least from the perspective of like the sound of like what hip hop was, um, mm -hmm. I think to some degree, Jay-Z kind of took a risk to kind of go back to this like, this like sample dusty type of situation uh, when everybody yeah. was doing these keyboard Swiss beats type records, you know. Um, oh yeah, that's true. That's so true. I, I just from a from a sound perspective, it, it I, I think it was it was kind of culture shifting in hip hop culture, and maybe maybe what I'm saying is too kind of uh, you know confined to hip hop. Uh, the other kind of culture uh, shifter I, I would say is is um, Outcast. Like I feel mm, like I feel yeah, like Outcast, okay. especially like with like a Hey Ya. You know, and like, uh, Yo, um, yeah, or like sure. a bombs over Baghdad. Like, they had certain mm -hmm. records that like almost redefined what a hip hop record or a hip hop single was to the world. Yes, um, that's in, fair, in yeah. ways that's that were, were huge. Yeah, no, I appreciate you bringing up the point about Outkast, um, particularly bombs over Baghdad, mm -hmm. as it would relate to Stan Konya, because mm -hmm. we talked about this during that episode that as groundbreaking as Stan Konya was. Mm -hmm. It didn't really matter because from a hip hop perspective, I don't think anybody really followed up Stan Konya. But, but I do think what happened was that the rest of the pop or the rest of like mainstream music mm -hmm. realized what Outkast did and said, oh, well, we can probably start incorporating some of this sound yeah. into our music yeah. or we can probably infiltrate the hip hop music now because of this project. Mm. So I don't think that like Jay-Z or um, or Snoop mm -hmm. or any or whoever else was at the time, Ludacris, whatever, was really looking at Stan Konya and being like, "This is what I need to do." Mm -hmm. I think that you know maybe like the John Mayers of the world yeah. or Lincoln Park or Fred Durst. Now nah, you make or, a great you know, point. Uh, Did you hear uh, the? Um, exactly. I think it was the Blade, either the Blade soundtrack or the Blade Two soundtrack. Well, which one had um, was a half and half? Produced by uh, Premier, uh, starring um, oh no, starring uh, MOP. Oh. No, I don't think I think that must have been on one. The the one I'm talking about, okay. They had EDM producers uh do work with hip hop artists. And so they had this blend of like hip hop over EDM that had kind of like never been done before. It was quote unquote revolutionary. Yeah. But I, I feel like a, a Bombs Over Baghdad was like a precursor to that project that told people like Hey, we could actually do something like this and experiment in this way. So I, I the, the 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 project wasn't wildly successful, but it, it was something that was kind of genre melding. I mean, another example is um You Got Me, right? Um, um by right. the roots, where they have like this mm -hmm. drum and bass cadence at the end, uh, you know, of the beat to to kind of show like yeah, the melding yeah, of yeah, the yeah, two yeah, genres yeah. or whatever. So Right, right. The last, I guess, album example. I will say is that this is this is a music shifting album, mm -hmm. 
but it's a culture shifting album as well. And I actually don't think it was the first project to do this. But I will say something like 808s and Heartbreaks from, from Kanye West, mm-hmm. which is not an album that I like. And I don't even think it was like the original project like this. Right. I think that I would have to give a lot more credit to Kid Cudi's first project. Mm-hmm. I think that Kanye West took that sound yeah. and did what he did. What Nevertheless, said. though, the reason why this is culture shifting is because when you look at like the little easy little Uzi Verts, when you look at like um, Lil Yachty's and, and, and you know, Young Thug yep. and, and a lot of those artists like that, a lot of, you know, the project that they that they cite the most. And I, I can't speak for, for everybody. I don't know if Lil Thug or Young Thug <laughs> cites this project, right? I know I know that I know that uh, Lil Uzi Vert does, yeah, right? Does. But like that project for them yep. is 808s and Heartbreaks. Yep. Not, a, not an album that I like, mm-hmm. right? But here's the thing, though. When I heard Lil Uzi Vert speak so highly of this album it made me understand it made me understand Lil Uzi Vert it mm. made me understand a lot of the music that I was listening to now it's like oh shit like yeah. I'm just on one hand it's like it's like yo I'm, I'm too old for this music now yeah because yeah. this is an album that I think is trash <laughs> right <laughs> but like I have to put some some weight to that I have to put some respect on it because of like it just it's such like a groundbreaking yeah yet staple you know piece of music piece of culture yeah and i'll piggyback on that thank you for for the alley-oop um but uh so far gone by drake you know uh an album that was very clearly influenced by by the 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 kanye record but then came out and built on the back of that in a way that was much more lyrical and much more accessible Mm -hmm. and a bunch of artists were were birthed from that album as well exactly so this is gonna get into there's a little bit of subjectivity here but i think that there's some objectivity as well um albums that had a slow burn or like a growing legacy um and and the reason why this is important is so let's let's take a movie like titanic right for the longest time this was like the highest grossing movie of all time yet it never smashed like the box office at 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 any one week what happened was is this movie came out, it was cool, but people kept talking about it and the buzz kept growing. Mm. And so more and more people kept watching it each and every weekend to the point where it's just like amassing all of this, all this money, all this critical acclaim, this, that, and the other. Okay. And it just sweeps everybody away, right? And for me, I think that an album that does that helps like kind of cement its legacy. Because like we said at the top of the episode, we're, we're looking at a lot of these things in hindsight, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, an, an album that did that almost instantly would be something like Illmatic. I think it only sold, it only, it only went gold at the time, maybe. Yet this was an album that very soon after it came out, so many people were talking about it. Like it was almost given like instant classic status within the year it dropped. Yeah. Did, did it not? Yeah, it was It was also leaked beforehand. So I think that might have also, oh, that? you know, contributed to some of the early sales. Right, right. Um, but I think that this is another one that kind of helps bring the album to to the table in terms of the discussion, like in, in terms of whether or not it's a classic, right? Something else like uh, like like Ride and Dirty or even uh, even Wu Tang Forever, which did go four times platinum. But I think that you know, to be honest, the, I think the music community gave that album high marks, but hip hop community didn't really give it much critical acclaim until maybe like four or five years after it came out, mm. then people were kind of starting to go back and say, okay, maybe we were unkind to this album. Cause I think the source only gave it like three and a half mics, 
right? And I think that that's something that retroactively, I think they probably made a mistake with. Yeah. Um, but albums, albums like that that weren't necessarily didn't get the the, the big boom right away, but they grew into these kind of like iconic status, if you will. Yeah. I don't know that this is like a slider, but I, I would say that like. There's definitely some albums that, you know, that that fit this uh, criteria or whatever, right, to be yeah, like a slow burn. So let me let me think of like some other slow burns. Reasonable Doubt, actually, I would say is is, is a Yeah, that's is a that's a burn, very good one. Right? That's a very good example. Yeah, yeah. it's like that's an album that everybody's like, oh, my God, it's classic. It's amazing. But when it came out, nobody really cared about it that much. Like, I mean, no, not nobody. No, but, I think that's you know. fair. Anyway. Um, yeah, no, I think that, yeah, that's a very, very good example. Another one would be, so another category for me, and this is the last one of kind of like objective, if you will, would be something like cult status or regional status or like niche status, mm -hmm. something like that, right? So like something like Mad Villainy mm -hmm. from MF Doom and, um, and, and Mad Lib, mm -hmm. right? Like this was something that did not necessarily receive a lot of mainstream attention. Yet the kind of like nerdy hip hop, if right. you will, or just like, I don't know. The people who love this album absolutely love this album. And this is the only thing that they that I heard them talking about. It's an amazing um, it piece of like, art. And if you haven't heard it, please go listen to it. Yeah, I I I a hundred percent agree. I hundred percent agree. But but to the point though, mm -hmm. was that this is not something that I was really checking for at the time. Mm. But yet it's received such cult-like status. Yeah. That again, it, it it brings you to the table to, to discuss, mm -hmm. and of course, then you can start breaking down all the other elements that it has. Yeah, um, you're right. So, but also something like regional, like mm -hmm. we talked about, like Ryan Dirty, mm -hmm. or like anything from Scarface, <laughs> right? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm not sure if Scarface really has like a lot of the mainstream attention, yeah. but you know, if if you if you fuck with that kind of music, I, I actually you love pretty much everything the Scarface has done. I actually want to add, and you you may disagree with this because I think you, you you disagreed with it on the episode, but I feel like Capadonna, The Pillage, is is a cult a cult <laughs> classic. Like, like if you're in that chamber of hip hop, people from the, that chamber love it. If you don't like Wu Tang music, then you probably think it's just a regular ass album. So. I mean, I <laughs> look, I love that album as well. Um, but it's it's hard for me because I have to acknowledge my Wu Tang bias, yeah. right? So um, so there you go. So these are all kind of uh some of these things I I I, I weigh higher than others. I think that like the, the follow-up, the moment run of dominance to me, I, I give kind of like a a high weight to I think that I think that anything that is like culture shifting or like trend setting, I also tend to give a really, really high weight to versus something like, you know, instant impact and, and ubiquity and sales and things like that. Mm. Um, so for me, that's kind of like where I'm going to kind of weight some of these things. Um, what about you? Like mm. of the ones that I listed, what would you think is like the most important and what's just kind of like, eh, what do you think? Impact. I'd say impact is the most, the most important okay. to me of, of all the ones that you instant say. impact or like kind of like, or like lasting, like it, it changed something it changed something got you okay and i mean right. i feel like and we we said this in in pre but i feel like these are all like things that you would have to assess after the fact mm -hmm. right like exactly. you're not going to know something has cult status until later on down the line you're like oh right. snap there's a whole group of people that really love this and a whole bunch of people that don't care about this right like so each of these are kind of only things that we can we can give to an album after the fact a lot of the albums that we talk about on the podcast 
are after the fact significantly. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of able to assess them via this criteria. Exactly. So next we're going to get into the more subjective standards. And this is where it's like, look, everybody has their taste. I have my taste. Yinka has his taste. People in the, in the audience who disagree with us have their taste. So, mm -hmm. you know, the albums that we choose to as examples, maybe they are albums that you disagree with. But I think that some of the, the, the criteria, the category is something that you probably would agree with. Or maybe that is how you assess an album. Right. And so, you know, the first one for me would just be um, cohesiveness and just like musicality. Right. And mm -hmm. of course, you know, for me, it's like the, the timeless aspect of it. So, yeah, it sounded good back in the day, but it also still sounds good now. It will still sound good, you know, years from now. Right. So, you know, for me, an album that's just like cohesive all the way through would be something like, you know, Black on Both Sides or even like like Water for Chocolate from Common or Midnight Marauders from Tri Call Quest. Like these are albums that are just like cohesive. Nothing sounds jarring. Nothing sounds out of place. Like say something like, I don't know, a project from Memphis, Memphis Bleak, where you got some <laughs> shit from the street, some shit from the radio, some shit, you know, you're just trying to sound hot. Some shit, you're just trying to like put it down. And it's just like, all right, you're scatterbrained. What are you doing? You're, you're killing like, all man, the Bleak, man. I know, Shout I know, out to I know. Bleak. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you understand what I'm saying, though, where it's like, I, I think that there's, there's, there's artists who, when they create these projects, they're just trying to ride a wave, whatever that wave might be. And they're mm -hmm. less focused on creating like a cohesive sound. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, like, or, or Jay-Z volume three, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like you said on that episode, you're just throwing spaghetti on the wall. You're seeing what sticks, right? Yeah. Like that doesn't help create a, con a, a cohesive project. And I, I think agree. that if you're, if your album is is cohesive all the way through and of course you know mm -hmm. if it still sounds good that's yeah. going to give me like that 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 holds a lot of weight for me um in particular i agree with this and this one is really important to me i will challenge you and say though that on the b episode you told us that commons and and kanye's uh structure of their album was too cohesive and you and you rated that against them so I feel there. like you got to define how that factor is assessed right. when you have albums that are cohesive and you say that that's a knock against the album. So one of the categories I have on here uh, that I haven't mentioned yet is, is vocal mm -hmm. mastery, right? Um, okay. I think that yeah. Common does not have, uh, is not vocally masterful on, on his own project. It is a very cohesive project. Well, production-wise, it's, it's cohesive. It, yes, co yes. Which is okay. why I had to respect it. But at the okay. same time, too, when I take other things into consideration, for example, it's like, look, it's not the best we even get from Common, right? Like, lyrically or vocally, uh, there are other projects that predate B that I think he sounds better on. Um, not only that, I'm like, I, you know, I don't think it created a run of dominance or anything like that. I don't think it really changed <laughs> it the game. It did for Kanye. It wasn't. It did for Kanye, fair, fair. <laughs> but this is Common's album, right? It didn't yeah. necessarily shift the culture. I think that, you know, if I'm going to say that it did things for Kanye in relation to what late registration did for Kanye, it's kind of like B's Same somewhat like, like an afterthought for me. And it's like, look, mm -hmm. it's a good album, but I actually think that there's things that we could have added to the project and changed with the project that actually would have given it that real, real classic status for me that B just doesn't necessarily have. And we'll, we'll talk about yeah. that later. 
um, because there's there's some other categories that I that I need to mention still. Like I said, one mm -hmm. of them was vocal mastery. Um, okay. But 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 for something like you know like Waterford Chocolate, where he's vocally stronger, where that's also somewhat of a groundbreaking project musically for hip hop that is so cohesive and so musical all the way through, and it's an efficient project. It's a it's a, it's a longer project than B, but like. There's no real lagging points. There's nothing. There's nothing that's jarring. Um, and I think that that it's much easier for me to make the argument that that album is a classic than than B, if you will. Okay. So yeah, are there any other uh, any other uh, albums that come to mind for you? For cohesiveness? Yeah. I don't know. Most of the albums that I like uh, are very strong in the cohesiveness, um, yeah. you know, place. Whether it's. Uh, Pete Rock, Soul Survivor, right. or um, um, Infamous by, mm, you know, mm, Mob mm. Deep, or, mm. you know. I mean, I think it's interesting that Illmatic is seen as this holy grail hip-hop album because it was one of the first albums that didn't have, like, at least cohesiveness of production, where, like, yeah. it didn't have, like, the same producer working on it. But then at the same time, like, he still kind of was able to create, like, a chamber of hip-hop. But... Only Built for Cuban Links yes. uh, is a very cohesive album that I love. Uh, all the Outkast albums that I love. Yeah, pretty much, uh, yeah. I know. have Equimini on here. Was yeah, my, was my one. definitely got to be on there. So, AT Aliens um, as well. This, uh, of all the ones that you've, like sliders that you've given us, this one is the most important one to me. So. Got you. So the next one that I have, um, and this is kind of similar. Um, again, we talked about like, you know, timelessness. But for me, it's like it's like timeless filler, right? Um, and the best example I can give is is to not even talk about a hip hop album, but would be to mm -hmm. talk about like, you know, two R and B albums from like the seventies, right? So if mm -hmm. I were to take like Marvin Gaye's "I Want You," like mm -hmm. the filler tracks on like, there's no bad songs on that album. Like the filler tracks on that still have aged very very well to the point where you don't even really consider them to be filler. Mm -hmm. Whereas like if we if we took that Marvin Gaye project and we compared it to something like, I don't know, any of Stevie Wonder's like really big records, right? Like, and I know that's going to sound blasphemous, but, but yeah. Stevie Wonder, like his good records, the singles on there, the hits on there, the good songs on there are still amazing to this day. Mm. And then, oh my God, there's like five or six songs on these, on these albums that are like, yeah, this sounds dated. It doesn't, it hasn't aged well. It doesn't necessarily sound very good. I don't know if it sounded very good at the time, but I'm like, I, I take that kind of analogy, if you will, or or that that perspective. And I, I translate that to hip hop. And I think the same kind of thing applies. It's like, look, you so know. So you feel that way about, about songs in the key of life? I think that there are songs on that album that have not aged well, that, that sound very dated, mm -hmm. that sound like filler. Whereas the songs that are amazing are obviously like, Holy shit! These are some of the best songs that were ever written and performed, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm not, and like I'm not I, saying that to knock. I'm not saying that to knock those Stevie Wonder albums. I'm saying that to illustrate the point of the timeless filler. How important that mm -hmm. is, right? On songs like um, like the album that you just mentioned, uh, the infamous from Mob Deep, where songs that aren't necessarily the best songs on the record are like good filler, really good filler that is aged to the point where we talked about that album. You said like. You don't really consider it, consider it a filler track, and that and that might be a fair point because it is aged so well, especially in relation to the rest of the album, right? I think that like when you have an album, a project that has a lot of songs like that, um, that it just, just continue to age really, really well. Like so, for example, 
um, climb on most F uh, black on both sides, right? Not a not a song that you or Carlos particularly liked at the time, but you listen to it now and just like, wow, like it's just a good piece of music. And that I would consider that a filler track. I think this is very subjective. I it is very, don't necessarily very agree subjective. with you. And and I think that I think that this is something that's very difficult to assess from the perspective of, especially your particular taste, because because when you have an artist like a Stevie Wonder or like mm -hmm. a Prince who takes a lot of risks and a lot of chances with their music, right. um, you're not going to have safe filler. Their filler is going to be all over the place and you're going to love some of it and you're going to hate some of it. And you might hear a Stevie Wonder song and you might hate it and you might listen to it in a year and just accidentally you leave the album on and then you listen to the song that you hated and you might love it. Same with Prince. It's one of the things I respect the most about Prince. And I don't love Prince as much as most people do, but like I'll listen to a Prince project and I'll be like, oh man, I only like the big singles on here. And then I'll mm. accidentally leave it on and I'll be like, shit, how did I miss this? Because okay. he's taken such a risk that it's like your brain almost has to be in a certain gear to connect with how genius that moment is. So like, I mean, I feel like like a, a record like The Infamous is a great record to say that about. But, you know, that that's a that's a fairly homogenous piece of, of music where, you know, the filler is the filler damn near sounds like shook ones like it like it's it's. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's not, it's not a, it's a risky project as a whole, but like track one and track eight don't sound all that different from each other. I got you. Um, well, like you said, it's also a very cohesive project. Another yes. album that I thought of would be something like um, Ready to Die from Biggie, The mm -hmm. Score mm -hmm. from the Fugees, or yeah. again, Midnight Marauders from Tribe Called Quest, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's not to knock the songs that I don't think aged well. Right. Mm -hmm. For me, it's to give good importance or heavy importance yeah. on the filler tracks that did age well. Right? Yeah. So that's that's know. fair. I think um, Instant Vintage is a is a great example of this by uh, by Rafael Sadiq. Another good example. Um, yeah. I think Exodus by uh by um Bob Marley mm -hmm. um is a good example. Like literally, like the, the uh, Natural Mystic, right? Like the record like starts with Natural Mystic. It's like. Every single record on there is amazing, even the records that aren't supposed to be amazing. Like right. the non-singles are just as amazing as the singles are. And that leads into my next category, which is like timeless singles, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think is important because you have some records that are hot records at the time, but they don't necessarily age well. And... To, to really illustrate this point, I'm going to remind you of something that uh, E uh, said to you, which is to make a really good album, it can't like, it can't be hot or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Like it can't have any hot tracks on it. What, what was the point that he was making? <laughs> um, Just that like, like a, a classic album is like, it's like cohesive. It's not about like you, you having like, like the hottest record, like, you right. know, like just hot records. It's about like, more so like it having, like you're saying, like a cohesive sound and like music that kind of is connected to the artist more so than just having like the hottest beats. Right. And I think that there are singles that were hot at the time, but still have managed to age very, very well. So for example, mm -hmm. something like, again, going back to Midnight Marauders, right? Something like a war tour or mm -hmm. electric relaxation. That mm -hmm. was a hit single at the time that is aged masterfully. Whereas right. 
maybe something like I don't know. Um, oh, what hard be? knock life? Oh, hard knock life again. That was a that yeah. exact. That's that's a perfect example of a single right. that aged really really well. Whereas there are other hot singles that maybe they haven't aged all that well, right? Um, oh, you would say hard knock life aged well? You don't think it has? I think that beat is amazing. I think I think if I if I if I was DJing your party right now and I played Hard Knock Life, what that's would happen? Well, like, that's like, not that's not a party song either. That's fair, but like the song, like if I played a ward tour, what would happen? Um, I if I played would, electric, if, if I played electric relaxation, what would happen? People people will enjoy it. Yeah, like I think, I'm not to say that Hard Knock Life is is, is uh, like it aged poorly. But at the same time, like there are certain records that were the biggest record ever. Right. But at the same time, like they didn't have that necessarily that timelessness to where like everybody remembers it and wants to hear it fondly, if that makes right. sense. Right. I think that there are songs that got played out. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, so for, for example, um, all right. Do you remember uh, Queen Pen? A party ain't a party. Yeah, right, a party. Right, right. That was my yeah. jam, man. That was my jam, right? And if, if it mm. comes on now, like... I'll bop to it for like a little bit and then I need the song mm -hmm. to change because it just got so mm -hmm. played out. Whereas yeah. something like, you know, um, still DRE from Dre, like mm -hmm. you can drop that 10 times on repeat and I still want to hear it. And that was a huge fucking, uh, a huge fucking hit back in the day. Right. Yeah. And I think that, yes, while if you have an album that, that tries to make every single song hot or, you know, maybe that's going to fail because not everything is going to age well, things are going to get played out. But when you right. have hit singles, that no, they continue to age well. They don't really get played out. Um, yeah. I think that that bodes well for your album. Something like yeah. Juicy, something like mm -hmm. um, you know, Ambitions as a Writer, or or I don't know. Um, I get around like who knows? Like there's there's a yeah. bunch of these hit records that have remained hot, and I think that that adds to the classicness of your album. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's. Pretty much it. I, I actually kind of mentioned like vocal mastery as well. This one is incredibly objective, especially when we're talking mm -hmm. about hip hop. But like, you know, it, not just lyrics, but just vocal mm -hmm. mastery in the in the terms of like you have the bars, but you also sound good on a project, right? Yeah. Because you could have bars and you can bore me, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have bars and you're not boring me, um, that's that's really good. And I think a really right. good example of this, I mentioned before, black on both sides, but like the biggest one for me would be life after death. Right. You mm. got the bars. And even if the, the beats aren't all that great, although I think that they are good on life after death, it doesn't matter. You know, even if R. Kelly is on your track, which sucks, <laughs> your vocal performance is so good that I just like I just want to listen to everything you have to say. Of course, that's very subjective for me. But maybe mm. somebody who really loves Tupac is willing to overlook some of the songs that kind of lag because they just love Tupac. And, and, and so like on this too, of, of All Eyes On Me, they can listen to the whole thing. If you're like, no, every single song on here is a banger because they love the vocal performance from Tupac, right? That's not me, but maybe that's you, right? And I think that something like that, that's just kind of like a personal category for me. It just adds to, you know, like I said, it's just very subjective, but that's kind of, you know, it just adds to the weight of things. So yeah. these are some of the categories for me in terms of you know how I kind of assess what makes what makes a classic, and I think that the subjective ones, the ones that I I, I listed you know um, in the second half of the of the episode, those are the ones that I kind of give the most importance to. But I have to respect the more objective ones, the impact, the cultural shifting ones. I have to because obviously, even if those 
albums did not impact me musically. They shifted the culture, so they must have impacted somebody. So clearly, these albums did something to to, to somebody for them to have this much of an impact. Right. I'll try to keep mine concise. Um, you know, I have uh, maybe five or six categories. Um, uh, production is okay. is the first. Um, the second is narrative. Mm, um, I like that. I, 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 I feel like narrative is something that people don't really talk about that much. But at the same time, like you can have certain narratives that like either really resonate with you or mm. are really interesting to you. So, for okay. example, I'll use Kendrick Lamar as as a narrative that really resonates with Ooh, me. Right. Like so I like when, that one. when when Good Kid Mad City came out, I was like, wow, this guy's telling my life story. Like I yeah. I really, really his his story really resonated with me, even when Blue and Exile came out. Right. Mm. Like Blue okay. came out as this kid. He's just like, hey, I'm just this regular kid from L.A. I just like to rap. That's all. That's all right. And like. Even though it wasn't a super interesting narrative, it still resonated with me. Mm -hmm. um, another narrative that I'll give and or offer as a counterpoint is is Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg came out and he's like, "Yo, I'm this gangster. I got mad bitches. I got hoes. I like to smoke weed. I don't none. I don't relate to any of that. Right. However, it was interesting and engaging to me. Right? I wanted to know more about it as a kid. Well, listening to to his narrative was interesting to me. So, narrative is important. Let me let me let me. Uh... Let me ask a question. What uh -huh. if the narrative from the artist is inconsistent? Is that something that kind of takes away from the project for you? Or is that something that Give you Give an example. Ah. Man, I'd have to think about what a good example is. Like I've heard people say Pac is inconsistent, but I don't see it as inconsistent personally. Pac is not the example I would have used. Um, okay. Actually, I think maybe Nas. Nas might be a little inconsistent sometimes. Okay. Um. Yeah, I think I think Nas is, and and Jay Z has come for Nas a little bit too, and I think that was okay. one of the the, the 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 points in his in his battle raps, if you will. That yeah. Nas has some inconsistencies there. Um, he That's might fair. be a good one. Uh, is Eminem inconsistent? I don't know. I feel like with Nas's narrative. I don't care about it as much. And yeah. so I feel like that slider isn't as high for me as the vocal mastery one is, which yeah. I, I haven't gotten yeah. there yet. But yeah, like Nas is just so one, his voice is so dope. Yeah. Two, he's just so fucking good at rapping. Yeah. Three, the shit that he says is just so profound that mm -hmm. I don't care what his story is. I don't okay. care if he witnesses from his notepad. I don't care or his <laughs> folks pad. I don't care that the tech was actually Jay-Z's tech because he can fucking rap his ass off. So I just don't care. Got you. Okay. But right. um yeah. so what's your, uh, so, uh, what's your what's your next one? So my next one is kind of four of them that I put all together, but um I have cohesiveness, mix, arrangement, flow. Mm, so like yeah, how yeah. well is the album how how cohesive is the sound of the album? How well is it mixed? And and I and I put mix because like a good example is Joe Budden Mood Music Volume 2. Okay. I happen to think that that's a classic mixtape. Okay. But the mix is so poor that I, I like I, I don't find myself just throwing mood music volume two on like like because I don't enjoy listening to it because it's not well mixed. Right. So m mix actually matters, right? No, it does matter. And I think that's one of the yeah. reasons why I've said this before, but that's one of the reasons why Megan the Stallion's debut album. Um, mm -hmm. What the fuck was that called? I forget what it was called already, but it was like it was mixed incredibly. 
right? Yeah. Like it sounded good, even it if like, really even if it wasn't like amazing music for us, I was like, yo, my God, like you guys really, Juicy J, whoever got in the studio, <laughs> DJ Paul really got in there and just mixed the shit out of that album. Right, right. So yeah, uh, arrangement, uh, we've kind of talked about this a lot mm-hmm. on, on the albums, but like we talked about how certain albums, when we make them a classic, sometimes we just have to move the songs around because it's yeah. just like, you, you want runs of, of songs that, that work together, um, you know, you want an album that to some degree is is front loaded enough that I I care. Yeah, I, like don't put all good. your good your good songs in the second half of your album and then it's all trash the first half because I'm not even gonna right. get there. I won't even listen right. to it. Um, so arrangement is really important, and then that goes into flow. How does your album flow? Like mm-hmm. beginning to end, does it keep me in your world, etc. Okay. So that's one. What do you have? Uh, do you have any examples for any of these? Sure. Um, arrangement. Uh, I, I think that uh, Aquemini was a really, yes. really well arranged album. We talked about how th- there's like damn near an 11 song run. Like, right. like that's unprecedented. You have 11 songs that keep me engaged and song after song, I want to know what's coming next and the perfect song comes next. Like, like I'm, I'm never going to leave your world if you have 11 songs. Like, that's an amazing arrangement of music. Um, and let me think. Examples of flow. An example that would, I guess, be counter to that or something that an example of something that was not arranged particularly well (laughs) might be something like Stan Konya from the same group. Mm. That's an album that breaks up a little bit. It's kind of choppy. choppy. You know what I mean? I happen to love the songs. I also happen to skip quite a few times, skip through the skits, skip through some songs that I don't really like. It's not very arranged. It doesn't really flow very well, even though I happen to love that album because I love the, the things that I love about the actual songs on it, I just, I love so mm-hmm. much, but like as an album, Box. as a complete piece of music, I have to say it's kind of a yeah. knock for it. So I think that's a good point. Good one. And um, for flow, the idea I thought of was actually sound bombing too. We talked mm, about that. Like That's perfect. Like just yes. the way the songs flow into yeah, each other, like the mixing like and everything. It's just like, it's so perfect that I would yeah. never need to like even press the skip button. Even if it's a song that I don't love, right, I'm not going right. to skip it because it's just perfect. Like That's so, it's so true. And especially listening to that album 20 years after the fact, because I think when it came out, I actually happened to find myself skipping quite a few songs. But listening to mm. it, whenever we did our episode for it, whenever that was, I don't know, two, three years ago, I just yeah. had that album on repeat. I didn't skip once the whole time. <laughs> I think I listened to that album like four times in a row. It just, it yeah. flowed so smoothly. It was great. It's, the flow is perfect. Yeah. Um, so the next one is is yours, but uh, you know, vocal presence and mastery. Mm-hmm. Um, so I add I added the presence because, you know, I think the 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 vocal mastery is important like you know how you deliver what you deliver right and i think this is the this is the reason why we put we put biggie on all of our mount rush yes. right like like his vocal mastery is is unprecedented like yeah. nobody no it, it, i i think i said the the thing about dj clark kent right dj clark kent gave us jay-z he gave us biggie around the same time and he talked about how, you know, whenever he would be around Biggie, he would play Jay's music. And whenever he would be around Jay, he'd play Biggie's music. Both of them mm-hmm. were like, fuck that nigga, I'm better than him. Right. And then each of them would say, why do you think this guy's the best? And he said, you know, Jay-Z asked him, do you think that this guy's better than me? Why do you think he's the best? And Clark Kent said, you say the hottest shit, but he says shit the hottest. <laughs> right and so like i think that's like the perfect the perfect way to explain what biggie is better than jay-z at 
right? Yeah. Which is like the way he says things is better than Jay-Z has has ever. So that that's mm-hmm. the vocal mastery that we're talking about, right? right? Like he's just a masterful vocalist. Um, but additionally, like vocal presence is important and he's also amazing at that. And there, there's some artists, you know, Taleb Kweli is a good example, right? Of an artist who like, sometimes he's, he, you know, he, he, he says dope stuff, but like his presence and mastery isn't always a hundred percent there. Right. For me. No, um, not just so. for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no diss to him. He's got some great music too, but I just used him as a counter example. Yeah. Um, so last two impact. Yeah. Uh, you talked about that in heavily in detail. So I don't need to go back on it. If you wanted to add anything, you can. Cool. Yeah. And last one that we didn't mention is features. Mm, um, okay. and, and, and features matter to me from a, a, a dual perspective. Some people really like, like an album that has no features. People talk about J. Cole, he went platinum with no features. You know, Nas, my first album had no famous guest appearances. All I had was AZ on my shit, even though AZ was amazing on his shit. Right. Uh, you know, so some people give people more credit for not having features. I think for me, I just, in an album, if it's your narrative, I want you to bring me into your world. Yeah. And I want the features to make sense in your world, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, even if, if you have Memphis Bleak on your album, no diss to Memphis Bleak, but like, you know, if you have an artist that's like, he doesn't become my favorite artist after hearing him on your shit, just make him being on your shit make sense. Right. So an example that I'll give is, um, I, I keep wanting to say MC Ren and it's not MC Ren, MC8. So MC8 had a guest appearance on Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid, Mad City, right? Okay. And like, h- h- where he fit on the album was like, you know, it's like, yo, wake your punk ass up, get down here. And it's just like, okay, you're from Compton. You bring this Compton legend onto your record. And like the the, the place where you position him is this like, yo, OG, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to put you up on game of what's going on in Compton. Like where it, it, it fit the world perfectly and it kept me in your world. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what's important for me from the perspective of features is like, do the features lend themselves to the picture that you're trying to paint for me. I like that. I like that. And I think that that actually kind of lends itself to the first one, which is, uh, you know, the cohesiveness and the musicality, right? Um, Are the features contributing to that aspect or are they just there because they need to be there? Right. right? Because some Um, people make albums and, you know, like no diss to to Puff, but I think his first album was was really good and a lot of people consider it a classic, but some of his later albums were just like, Oh, Twister's on this song. Now R. Kelly's on this song. J. Lo's yeah. on this song. It's just like, it's just a, a, an amalgamation of just anybody you could call. DJ Khaled is another great example, you know, right. and no right. diss to him, but, you know, the people that are just throwing whoever just at these songs. Yeah. And it's cool, but like, I'm not going to be like, this is an amazing album. I might say this is an amazing song. You yeah. Know? I think the only, one of the only producers who was really able to just take whoever like the hot artist was and put it on the track and make it sound good might have been someone like Timbaland, right? Just because like that's kind of like what his music kind of lended itself to. He was able to marry that very, very well. And he was also very selective with some of the guest appearances he had. Um, so but here's I think a question. That, go ahead. Name me, name me a classic Timbaland album. I do think that the... Um... All right. He didn't do, he didn't do Usher's um, Let It Burn no. album, did he? 
All right. Uh, the So Addictive from Missy and the Super. That's a classic. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. And again, you know, place. yeah, I, I feel like and I, and I love Timbaland. So please yeah. don't 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 hold this as a knock against me. He's one of my favorite producers of all time. And I actually rate the album Tim's bio a lot higher than most people. His second album. Okay. But um, is it a classic? When I go back and I listen to it, I don't know. Okay. No, bro. You know, it no doesn't. It, it, he 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 has the cohesiveness of sound, but again, you know, it's a little all over the place in terms of the 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 performances. Got you, got you. Okay. Yeah. All right. So and and oh, one last thing that I wanted to say in terms of uh, the 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 slider of cohesiveness, mix, arrangement, and flow, and how mm -hmm. important it is for me. Um, YG's solo, first solo album, right? Um, it's Which an album that? that you've heard me uh, bring up. What's it called? My Crazy Life. Okay. Um, is that the one you had me listen to or not? Yes. Okay. I think so. It's an album that, that I've mentioned a lot on this podcast. And, you know, it, it, it got kind of brought up a lot in a lot of conversations, almost as like a counterpoint to Good Kid, Mad City, because it was also a narrative-based album mm -hmm. that was very popular. Um, I think it was a really, really great album and a really, really well done album. Um, and I really, really just enjoyed how cohesive and how well arranged and how the album flowed. And and so that slider went way up for me to a point where like, you know, his vocal mastery was a little bit less important to me than, you know, it would have been if if that wasn't so great. So just an example. So here's a question. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that if an album or a project has all of the musical aspects that you that you like that you mentioned, mm -hmm. but it doesn't get have any of the other cultural in, uh, cultural impact or musical impact or it's not a smash like no one else is really liking this album, will you still consider it a classic? Yes. Okay. I I've been I've been on the hill telling everybody that they need to listen to Instant Vintage by Raphael Sadiq since it came out. Mm -hmm. So I mean for me like the cultural impact and stuff is great and it's very yeah. important when we when we especially on this podcast when we talk about a lot of things that are in hindsight yeah but for me i personally don't need other people to tell me a piece of music is a great piece of music and so like the cultural impact tells me what other people thought about something or what other people feel about something but i feel like i can make my own judgments on how amazing something is with that, like in absence of other people's opinion. What I would argue is that the albums that have all the elements that you like tend to rise to the top anyway, right? Mm. Whether it's a slow burn, whether it's something that, you know, didn't get a lot of credit, but then, you know, at some point someone discovers it and then people start to mm. listen to it. At some point, Maybe not every single great album, but most of these really great projects at some point are going to start to bubble to the surface. And maybe they're not going to get like widespread critical acclaim, but at some point, yeah. enough people are going to listen to it. Just be like, yo, like that shit was great. Um, maybe, yeah. I, you know, I, I'll offer a counterpoint, which is well, no, that... Well, I, I'm, a, okay. I'm actually agreeing with your point that these, I think mm -hmm. that the, the elements that you think are the most important, I think are, are the most important. And I think yeah. that, well, but my point was that 
that I initially I was playing devil's advocate in the sense of like, oh, mm-hmm. what if it has all these things and it doesn't rise to the, to the surface? My point mm-hmm. was, is like, I actually don't really think that happens. I think that the albums that but do I actually do, do though. Instant Vintage is an album that a lot of people like. Is it not? Maybe, but but that 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 wasn't what where I was going. Okay, um, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, more recently, there has been an influx of a lot of music. Yeah, and I think as as time as time has made it easier to make music and easier to release music, there's just been more music, and by virtue of that, it's been more difficult for the cream to kind of rise to the top, as you've That's said. Fair. And I and I think and hope, and I've said this on this podcast before. That one day we're gonna go back and we're gonna look at the music from the blog era on, and we're gonna find a whole lot of beautiful gems that we had no idea were, were there. Yeah, because I think we to will. me, there's a lot of music from 2010 on that is amazing that nobody's talking about, and I and that's just my personal view. I think we will, and if there are projects that you're familiar with that we could discuss, I'd love to hear them. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. because that's generally. The argument that I have with a lot of the younger listeners, and by younger listeners, I mean people who are like ten years younger than I am, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that I that I say that like you can't argue with timeless, right? Like even if it didn't have an instant impact, even if nobody has heard of it, like yeah. if if you go and listen to an album from back in the day, like and it's good, like it's just it's just timeless. Yeah. It just it doesn't really matter when it's when it's released. Okay. Um, and I think that you know I think that those albums at some point. They're gonna bubble to the surface. Um, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, because you know, there's artists like that we talked about, like Big Crit, for example, right? Mm-hmm. So Big Crit's first two projects are, I guess, kind of cult classics. Like, like right. I, I would consider them kind of like classic, you know, blog era classics. But like, he's still making music, and it's not being talked about very much because he's not really like a darling of the moment. And I think a lot of that has more to do with like marketing and et cetera. Like we like. Mm-hmm. I haven't listened to those projects, but I but I give an artist of his caliber the benefit of the doubt that he's probably making amazing music and it's just not being heard because there's so much out there. Yeah. Well, maybe 10 years from now, 20 years from now, his music will be the music that stands the test of time. And some of the music that we yeah. are talking about, people are going to look back and be like, eh. Right? Because that was a point that uh-huh. um, J. Cole was making in one of his diss tracks. I think it was on KOD when he was dissing uh-huh. like Lil Pump or whatever. And he was saying, uh-huh. like, look, yeah. at some point, That's you artists who are making all this ridiculous music, your fans are going to grow out of this shit. Right. Right. At some point. And, like, and I don't like it. And right. maybe they'll like it 20 years from now, or maybe they won't. And my guess right. is they won't. Right. And it was uh, an astute observation of, of, right. of his. Right. I feel like that that particular track, he does a really, really good job of, like, discussing the I, I feel like Cole like when he gets on that particular shit like middle child we talked about that on the podcast episode yeah. with, with, with Panama but like when he gets on that subject matter he nails it because he mm-hmm. really is like in that he sits in that space of like not the the, the the children of the moment but at the same time not the quote unquote legacy old school acts like your Nas's and Jay Z's that get you know loved by people like us yeah. So, um, should that, uh, do you have any other categories or that should, uh, to that kind of wrap it up? Those are my categories, man. So, yes, you know, so I think that should do it for, you know, how our criteria for, you know, what we like to label a classic. Hopefully, we, we did a, a decent job of answering what, what, uh, answering the mail on what makes a classic album to us. 
I'm not sure if we're going to be able to agree on a, a solid criteria, but you know, at least for our listeners and at least for each other, um, I think we might have a better idea of, of how we go about these. And I kind of already had an idea of, of, of your criteria for making uh, something a classic or labeling something a classic. I think you probably had a decent idea for me as well. But like, you know, if you guys have any any ideas about something that we missed or albums that we missed or albums that you disagree with, you know, please feel free to let us know. Yeah, yeah. Peace. Peace. Now your soul's looking light cause they don't show up Which unfortunately means the money slow up Now you scrambling and hoping to get hot again But you forgot you only pop cause you was riding trends Now you old news and you going through regrets Cause you never bought that house but you got a pins And a bunch of jewels and a bunch of shoes And a bunch of fake friends I ain't judging you I'm just telling you what's probably gonna happen When you rapping about the type of shit you rapping about It's a faster route to the bottom I wish you good luck I'm hoping for your sake that you ain't dumb as you look But if it's really true what people saying And you call yourself playing with my name Then I really know you fuck Trust I'll be around forever cause my skills is tip top To any amateur niggas that wanna get rocked Just remember what I told you when your shit flop In five years you gonna be on love and hip hop Nigga